0: Rewatching Good TV Podcast Network presents The Sorkin Cast. And welcome. To the Sorkin Cast, episode seven of the podcast. We're part of the Rewatching Good TV podcast network where you can find people rewatching anything from Game of Thrones to Lost to what we're doing, and that's rewatching old Aaron Sorkin shows. My name is Matt Murdick and I am from sorkincast.wordpress.com. That's where you can find all of the back episodes of the podcast. You can find contact links and podcatcher links. And if you would take time to go to iTunes and leave me a written review along with your stars, whatever uh, your review may entail, uh, positive or negative, I would very much appreciate it because that's what helps me uh, not only keep the show more noticeable among other great TV podcasts, but it also helps me improve the show. So I would thank you very much if you would take the time to do that, and I will thank each of the users who have done so when we get to our 12th episode, which will be our feedback episode regarding the first 11 episodes of Season 1 of West Wing. We're covering Season 1 of West Wing right now, and I have to pre-record these podcasts, but I do want to set aside a, a week where I'm getting all of your feedback on these episodes and in my opinions about these episodes as well. So, again, feel free to email sorkincast at com or you can call the Rewatching Good TV hotline, which is 314-669-1840. Make sure to say that you're leaving your feedback for the Sorkincast when you leave a message so that I am sure to catch it in the right podcast, uh, because I also use that for my Game of Thrones podcast line as well. And I guess you can tweet me at SorkinCast if you have any thoughts about this as well. But in the 12th episode, I'll include all of those thoughts as well as iTunes Thanks at that time. This week we are covering West Wing Season 1, Episode 7, entitled The State Dinner. It was written by Aaron Sorkin and Paul Redford. And it was directed uh, by the guy who directed the pilot, Thomas Shalame. I hope is how you say that guy's name. I'm terrible with those kind of names, but I apologize if I mispronounced it. The episode first aired on November 10th, 1999, and it was viewed by an estimated 9.7 million viewers. So the ratings went up a little bit this week from last week. Geos.tv, and that's the Global Episode Opinion Survey, ranks this episode right now 91st out of 156 episodes. Uh, So, evidently not as strong an episode as the prior one, but nonetheless, um, I guess maybe the prior one got the ratings back up a little bit. Here's your episode summary for the state dinner. The White House holds a state dinner for the Indonesian president and his staff, and the staff are forced to deal with a major hurricane, an FBI standoff, and a potential major union strike. All the while, Toby tries to back-channel the release of a friend being held in Indonesia. Danny Kincannon flirts with CJ, and Sam has to deal with seeing Lori in the White House with one of her clients. So, lots of stuff happening there, and uh, we'll just go with this week's Walk and Talk right at the beginning, where CJ is getting bombarded with all of the issues she's going to have to address with the press today as she's walking from one area to another. Everybody's coming at her from every direction, I think, as she's starting to get to the staff meeting. So here's that.
1: Okay, what do you need? Sarah's picked up speed and power and has now been classified as a class four system. You might want to talk about preparations and contingencies. Sure, what are we talking about? Hurricane
2: Sarah. Sarah's a hurricane?
1: Yes. Where's it heading? Georgia and parts of the Carolinas. When? We'll hit landfall by tonight. Is it serious? You ever been in a hurricane? No. Me neither, but they look pretty serious. Just so you know, they voted to strike. The Teamsters? Fifteen minutes ago, Leo's put him in a room. When? Now.
3: How
2: long's it gonna last? Till midnight. Taft Hartley expires. That's when the truck drivers walk. There's a state dinner tonight. We'll make more food. Josh. Don't worry about it. Hey, do you know about the hurricane? Yeah. Everybody
3: but me? Listen, I want you to start preparing for something. There's a situation in McLean. Virginia? Idaho. What's in Idaho? There's a property that local law enforcement's had surrounded for four days. a farmhouse with anywhere from 18 to 40 survivalists. Are they armed? Yeah. Are there kids? Yes. Yes. Yeah. The FBI's decided it's a hostage situation, so we got ourselves a holding
0: Of course, the part I didn't include was, but uh, the funny punchline that C.J. had at the end of all of that, where she says the thing she'll be asked most about today was the first lady's shoes, uh, more or less. So uh, that was kind of funny. Uh, and in the same way, we always have our quick jabs or either personal or political or professional little jokes or humorous quotes from this week's episode. And here are those
2: matching open toe evening slippers her jewelry is by an artist from her birthplace which is Jakarta it is fashioned in rubies and gold anything else? nothing on the nuclear test ban treaty no okay thank you what?
4: I'm not wild about this whole Indonesian business. What's the problem? I've been doing some reading
1: on my own. Well, I wish you wouldn't do that. Why? Because you tend to call some bizarre factoid from a less than reputable source, and then you blow it all out of proportion. I do, I do not.
4: I just thought you might like to know that in certain parts of Indonesia, they summarily execute people they suspect of being sorcerers. What? I read it.
1: They summarily execute people they suspect of being sorcerers.
4: Maybe had them.
1: Sorcerers.
4: Gangs of roving people, beheading those they suspect of being sorcerers with, you know, what's that thing that death
5: carries? A scythe. They're doing it with a scythe.
1: Well, thanks for the heads up. I
5: just thought you might like to know who's coming over for dinner. You bet. Leo, please tell Josh that I can play a role in issues and it's not going to be the end to this administration.
1: I don't think it'll be the end of this administration, Leo. I think it's going to be the end of this republic. President Secudo, how are you enjoying America so far? Fine, thank you. Would you mind expanding on that, sir?
6: She'd like you to say a little more on the subject.
1: I have nothing more to say on the subject.
6: I can't decide if that man is boring or rude, but he's one or the other. I'm sorry to hear that. Sitting out there trying to figure out how this guy could campaign for something and win, then I remember
7: we usually rig the election. There you go. You think it's important he sit at my table tonight? He's the guest of honor, so it is customary. Where are you sitting? At your table, sir. Where's Toby sitting? With CJ and Josh and
3: Sam. Yeah, that's the fun table. Yeah as has often been said a true friend tells another friend the truth and on some issues we must speak candidly or we could not in all honesty hold the great honor of being known the world over as Indonesia's friend that was just about the
1: worst writing I've ever heard I know
5: the FBI guy's been in there a couple hours Yeah. think it's a good sign
1: I I don't have any thoughts on it one way or the other
5: what's happening with the Teamsters I don't know any news on the hurricane
1: not that
0: I'm aware of
5: What is it you do here exactly?
1: It's never really been made clear to me.
0: Okay, all of the front stuff is now out of the way. Here is your description for clip one as we start off talking about this episode. In this clip, CJ clarifies what she'll be speaking about with the press. Josh instructs Donna about an upcoming back-channel meeting. The staff meeting discusses the labor dispute and Leo assigns Mandy the job of being a liaison about the FBI standoff. On the Indonesian side, Bartlett poses with a cool Indonesian president, and Toby and Sam work on the state dinner toast. Back to the domestic issues, Leo meets with labor and management, and Mandy gives Josh the first FBI update.
2: Let me see if I have this a hurricane's picked up speed and power and is heading for georgia management and labor are coming here to work out a settlement to avoid a crippling strike that'll begin at midnight tonight and the government's planning a siege on 18 to 40 of its citizens all the while we host a state dinner for the president of indonesia
1: yeah you You got it a senior indonesian deputy
2: is coming tonight
1: Toby and I want to talk to him alone for a few minutes. I need you to find out if he can speak English, and if he can't, we need to get an interpreter from state. What's his name? Ramahidi Sumahijo Banbang. Bang.
4: Can you spell that?
1: Not correctly, no. The president should be prepared to sign some sort of federal disaster relief. What's going on with the truckers? I'm meeting with them in the Roosevelt
7: Room in an hour. What's the issue? Two-tiered hiring. The company divides its workforce into two bodies. Long-term, full-time employees who enjoy top-market wages and benefits and part-time or newer full-time employees who are paid a lower wage scale and usually get no benefits.
5: But they're part-time employees. And a lot of them aren't. A lot of the workers at management designated as part-time are de facto full-time employees who are working the same amount of hours under a different designation at lower wages with no health or pension.
7: Listen, McLean, Idaho, I need someone to monitor and keep the president and me updated throughout the day. I'll do it. You gotta work with Toby on the toast. Don't need him.
1: Yes, you do. I can do it. No, you can't. Why not? Because you're a political consultant, and this is an actual, you know, thing.
7: Establish a contact at the Justice Department and the FBI. And keep Josh informed throughout the day and night. Mr. President.
2: No questions right now, Harry.
7: A short one.
6: She's not worried about the length of your question. She's worried about the length of my response.
3: (laughs) we're having
6: salmon tonight yes they told you that yes yo-yo ma is going to play some Bach concertos I believe do
7: you like,
6: it? Do you like salmon no well
3: our mistake yes uh, we have been friends for over 50 don't, years don't say friends it's a state dinner Fine, but I don't think we should remind people how friendly we were with dictators who oppress their people while stealing their money. How else are you going to steal people's money? See, that's good. Write that in the toast. Toby, you got something going on tonight with Josh? We got to see a guy about a thing. Need any help? No. Toughen this up.
5: For us to accept wage costs that are significantly greater than our competitors would render us unable to compete. Yeah, you're full of
7: crap, Seymour. This is the White House, Bobby. It's not the Jersey Turnpike. Watch your mouth. Forgive me. And for all the danger your industry is facing from competition, Seymour, the fact is the trucks are still this country's number one way of moving things around, including food. I'm talking about produce rotting in warehouses. haven't till midnight.
5: It really bugs you that the president listens to me sometimes.
1: Yes, but you shouldn't take it personally. It bugs me when the president listens to anyone who isn't me.
5: Do you know why the FBI had reason to believe there was an illegal weapon in this house? Why? Because we sold it to them.
1: You know that for sure?
5: Yeah. Also, there are children in there. And a lot of cross wires between the Deputy Attorney General and the FBI and alcohol, tobacco and firearms in terms of who's running the show. My point is, aside from everything else, this is a PR disaster waiting to happen and it's going to happen today. This is why you hired me.
0: Well, as I kind of said at the top of this podcast, there's there's a whole lot of things going on in this episode. Uh and the story almost feels like a story ensemble as well as having a, an ensemble cast in a way. Um but to be perfectly honest, I, I think that this may be kind of more typical of a real White House day. I mean, if you think about it, every evening if you watch the national news on whatever station you watch that on, uh well, at least for those of you who do, you have to think that probably 90% of the stories that you're going to see on a national news segment uh, has been discussed at the White House uh, during that day, or maybe even before, depending on how good the the intelligence is. Um, at least that's the way it is in the context of the world at this time, which again is 1999. It also kind of dates the show in a way because in today's instant news feed world and with social media, uh, sometimes I I think we some of us wonder whether the White House's intelligence gathering is any faster than Twitter. Um, But I think uh, even as far as 15 years ago or so, news reporters were were still getting the majority of their scoops uh, slightly behind the White House. White House was still maybe able to stay a step ahead. Uh, Nonetheless, um, given in that circumstance, or even especially today, in today's circumstances, uh, it's got to be a lot of pressure to be a press secretary, because you just never know what some reporter may know that you don't. Um, That's kind of scary. So at least CJ has a little bit of a hand here from all these different guys getting her stuff. Um, Also, just in regards in general uh, to this episode, there's a little more focus on Mandy than usual in this episode. Uh, she's getting uh, to play a more active kind of advisor role in this episode, but a- as you know, I kind of play the result on a lot of these things um, since we've now seen the episode, and what becomes clear now, again, playing the result, she her lens is still on very much in what her role generally is, and that's protecting the image of the president, making the president media-friendly. And such. And so uh, I feel like that because she is coming from that kind of position and she hasn't been able to think about the issue as an issue on its own, she kind of lets that perspective of what her normal job is kind of cloud her on the issue itself. The rest of the stuff in this clip is is really just mostly set up for the next clip. So let's move on to the clip two, where in this clip, Danny Kincanon brings up a protest to the president. Leo advises the president that a carrier group has been sent to sea in order to avoid the hurricane. Sam and Toby then debate about what to put in the toast. Then, Danny flirts with CJ. Sam and Lori meet for lunch. And Mandy convinces the president to send in a negotiator to the FBI situation rather than ending it with force quickly.
8: Pardon me, President Bartlett. I was wondering if you noticed the protesters across the street this morning.
6: I try not to look out my window that much, Danny. What protesters? Verme? Verme?
8: Yes, sir.
2: Danny, I'm going to cover Verme at the briefing. That's all, folks. I got to bring in the next group. My whole one o'clock briefing is going to be about the Verme protesters, isn't it? Well, I
8: just raised a question in front of 24 White House reporters. he didn't answer it, so I would assume that there would be some sort of follow-up. Yes. Thanks. Anytime, Carol. Yeah. She's going to need you.
2: What do you need? I need to know what Verme is and why people are protesting it. Mm-hmm.
8: Verme? Yes.
7: What do you need? I just wanted to let you know we're going to clear out a battle carrier group from the Norfolk Naval Yard because of the hurricane. Yes, it's standard procedure. They want to get the ships out of the way. All right, and this is just in case someone asks you why we've deployed an entire carrier group in the North Atlantic. All right,
3: thank you. Indonesia's constitution highlights democratic principles. Toby, Reid. I know what you're gearing up for here, Reid. Do you really think it's a good idea to invite people to dinner and then tell them exactly what they're doing wrong with their lives? Absolutely. Otherwise, it's just a waste of food. Toby, we're not telling them how to run their lives. Can we saw from the top of this? No.
2: You're a rabble rouser, you know that? You rouse rabbles. Hey. I went and looked at your big verme demonstration. Six people
8: in Lafayette Park with oak tag and magic markers. I didn't say it was Selma, Alabama or anything.
2: Six people, six pathetic people protesting on a Friday, and you just lent their weak and feeble voices a megaphone. What do you call that?
8: A job well done. I'm
2: very proud of yourself. Yeah.
8: Say, what are you wearing tonight?
2: What am I wearing tonight?
8: Yeah. Your paper wants to know what I'm wearing? Not my paper. That was just for me.
2: You want to know what I'm wearing? Yeah. Well, I'm wearing an evening gown of grey silk.
8: Good then. I'll be looking forward to it.
2: Well, okay. I've gotta go deal with the Vermay crazies. See ya. Okay. You're not afraid of being seen with me right now?
8: Because of the way you're dressed.
2: No, no why?
4: What's wrong with the way I'm dressed? Oh, no, because of my night job, Sam. You're not afraid of being seen
6: with me?
3: No. Your night job's crummy. Yes, I know. You got a thing tonight? A date? A client?
4: Yeah.
3: Yeah. Who?
4: I thought we had a deal. Yes. Thank you.
3: Where's he taking you?
6: I
4: don't know. Okay. No, I really don't know, Sam. He calls me, he tells me what to wear, and the rest of it's
3: a big surprise. Is this Sam, someone who. You... I have
4: class in an hour, and I have not
3: even finished. Oh, for God's sakes, it's Gideon V. Wainwright, 372, U.S. 335. You say the president, you say black's opinion for the majority.
5: Thank you for that display of geek bravado, but I'd like to learn this myself so I can graduate from law school, practice law, and give up my night job.
3: And I'm just saying, your night job stinks.
5: Fine. And I'm taking your sandwich. Fine.
6: You want to raid this house? We don't have to come in with guns blazing. We can simply fire tear gas
1: through the windows.
5: Tomorrow's front page will be a screaming woman running out of a burning house with a baby in her arms and FBI windbreakers in the foreground.
1: Josh, there's no way this will end good. All that's left is to end it fast. I agree.
5: What about a negotiator?
1: Negotiate what?
5: A peaceful settlement.
1: This is a standoff with federal officers. A peaceful settlement has put your guns down, you're under arrest.
5: I think it would be wise if we demonstrated that we exhausted every possible peaceful solution before we got all ramboed up. This isn't
1: abstract, Mandy. This isn't a theoretical problem. The FBI says come out with your hands up, you come out with your hands up. At which point you were free to avail yourself of the entire justice system.
5: Do you really believe that or you just pissed off because I got in the game?
1: Mandy, the president's going to
7: go with your plan. Chafee's going to send in a negotiator.
5: Good.
1: Well, you're in the game now.
0: Now, I know I've mentioned this before, but Danny Kincannon is definitely one of my favorite characters because he is exactly what CJ says he is. In a way, it's kind of arrogant, but it he does come in often strutting stuff out in front and then later pulls it back because he wouldn't actually want to hurt the president over something so trivial. Again, I say over something trivial. Uh, He is a reporter first, so you have to respect that as well. But I love the fact that he really likes CJ, and by the end of this episode, especially when I first saw this episode way back when, I was really shipping Danny and CJ a lot despite any kind of ethical issues that there might be about a press secretary and a reporter dating, uh, which um, CJ, I, yeah, I think, kind of wrestles with, and, and maybe even Danny does too a little bit. But I don't know. Is that really a thing? What do you think? Um, you can email me at sorkincast at com or call 314-669-1840 or tweet at sorkincast. Now, rewatching this, this episode I couldn't see how I could be so stupid uh, when I first watched this. But if if you've listened to any previous kind of podcasts of mine, you know that uh, something pretty much practically has to beat me over the head in order for me to realize what's going on. And then, of course, I complain about getting beat over the head, right? (laughs) Anyway, uh, the scene I'm talking about is the Sam and Lori scene. I mean, of course she's going to end up with her client at the White House at the state dinner. Matt, you're a dummy is what I tell myself uh, after the after we get later on in the episode and I realized it. So uh, first watch, I think I was looking for someone with a camera or, or something like that, uh, thinking, you know, that somebody would see them together, especially since Lori brings that up right at the beginning of, of that scene. And I totally miss the obvious that she might show up later at the White House. I'm just a dummy. Um, but that's the way it goes. I guess the the whole thing did throw me off a little bit about the possible taboo of Sam meeting her at all. I still should have gotten it by the end of the scene, uh, but I just didn't think about it. Uh, So, yeah, chalk another one up to Matt being a dummy. And uh, as as Josh puts it at the end of this clip, Mandy's in the game now, and I I didn't mind her coming on strong about an issue in this context in terms of advising the president. Um, Too often, I feel like early in this season, uh, and in earlier episodes, she's been coming on strong about stuff that's kind of petty or, or self-important, but that's not the case here. Here she's making a legitimate, uh, plea in terms of what her lens is, and maybe her lens is a little bit unfocused of what it should be, but she's still making good impassioned arguments, uh, for what she believes should be the proper approach. I love the way that Sorkin kind of juxtaposes the idealism and the realism in this scene in the fact that, you know, Mandy's probably not even thinking that anything could possibly go wrong with an FBI negotiator, that anything could go wrong with that. And it just seems like, you know, a peaceful solution makes everything look better for the president, makes everything, you know, one less kind of new cycle to have to worry about. And her coming on and Bartlett finally agreeing to it, is, again, I think showing us something about Bartlett. If you remember just a few episodes ago, Toby's whole thing about the president's needing to win, I mean, Bartlett lets Mandy's kind of image-motivated idea get to him here. It's I, I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't think it's wrong to think or to want to try and end this whole FBI standoff thing peacefully I think that's that's a very uh, again kind of idealistic notion but when you hear Josh and Leo both agree uh, on just end it fast um, doesn't that make you tend to side with them and, and think that you know maybe they've been down this kind of road before and and they know better and that makes maybe Mandy seem a little more idealistic but once again I don't mind Mandy talking up her points here. It's not like, you know, back when she was worried about quitting her job before or back when she was worried about uh, just petty stuff. This this is a whole different ballgame for Mandy. And so I enjoy seeing Mandy in this situation. And <laughs> once again, I'm playing the result here, but you can definitely see now looking back at this after you've watched this episode that that Toby is really kind of lashing out at the Indonesians, uh, through this toast and and not for these higher ideals that he's trying to throw in there. I think this is totally about his friend being imprisoned, uh, which, you know, in the end gets him his ass handed to him as a result. So there you go. And I guess that's all I have to say about that clip. So let's move on to clip three. And in this clip, Charlie asks Josh for help regarding his grandparents in the hurricane, CJ talks with First Lady Abigail Bartlett about the Verme protest. Sam ends up meeting a White House supporter who happens to have Lori with him. The storm turns and wreaks havoc on the naval ships sent out to sea. Mandy finds out from Josh that the FBI negotiator has been shot, and President Bartlett is briefed on the latest events.
1: Excuse me. What's up? I hate to ask you this, but I need a favor. What do you need? Our grandparents are in a little house off the Georgia coast Are they evacuated? I don't know where they are, I've been trying all day
4: They lost phone lines in parts of northeastern Georgia
1: um, I'm sorry to ask you this, but it's, don't worry about it Donna, call FEMA, use my name When that doesn't work, use Leo's name It's just that they don't get around too well
2: We'll find them He's a doctor, CJ, and he's here to call some technology I appreciate the thought So, what's on your mind? I spoke to Peggy about the Vermeer You might get a few questions I'm not embarrassed by the Vermeer It's not as if we spent new money on it Yes, but it's history. It's our history.
4: Better or worse, it's our history. We're not going to lock it in the basement or brush it with a new coat of paint. It's our history. Okay. Well, good answer. You know the truth, I do it almost every time. Yes, ma'am. Leo, where's my husband?
7: He was caught on the call. to meet you over there.
4: What's happening with the teamsters? They've been at it for ten hours. What's your
7: confidence? We'll be okay. Good. Mingle. Mm-hmm. Carl? I'd like you to meet Toby Ziegler... Sam Seaborn and Joshua Lyman wow
3: Their <laughs> reputations precede us
1: <laughs> yeah
7: they ought to you three do fine work excuse me gentlemen so
3: how long are you in town for Mr. Everett just for the night let me introduce my date Brittany this is Brittany Brittany this is Tr- Joshua Lyman Hello. Hi. hi Sam Seaborn it's nice to meet you but we're going to head on over, but maybe
1: I'll get a chance to talk with you all later. Great.
4: Charlie, your grandparents are in a shelter in Granville.
1: Oh, man, thank God. Thank you, Donna. You know how long they're going to have to stay there for?
4: Well, oh, people are being sent back to their houses right now. Get this, the hurricane shifted direction.
7: You're kidding.
2: Oh, it's uh, heading back out to the Atlantic. CJ? Leo?
7: What's happening?
2: It's a whole new situation. Well,
7: it's moving east. It's moving back out. What kind of situation?
2: For some reason, there's a fleet of ships out there. God. Do you know about this?
7: They evacuated a battle carrier group out of Norfolk this morning as a standard safety
2: precaution. They're sitting right in the path of the hurricane.
7: Can they get out?
2: Leo, the thing is 600 miles across. They're locked in. How bad can this get?
7: Catastrophic. What do you want to do? Let's do this thing, and then get ready.
2: I should start to work now.
7: Huh? I don't want to tip the press. Let's go to a party. Yeah, okay. Appreciate your call. Thank you.
5: Josh, I'm not hearing anything from the FBI, and I'm not hearing anything from Justice. It's been about a half an hour, and I can't get any information out of Idaho. It's over. What do you mean?
1: It was Chafee. that took the house. Thirty-four occupants. They're all in custody. What happened? They shot the FBI negotiator. He's in critical condition.
6: Captain? How big is this carrier group? How many men? How many ships? This battle group is made
7: up of the aircraft carrier John F. Kennedy, which carries a crew of 5,000 men, two guided missile cruisers, two destroyers, and two battleships. All told, it's a little over 12,000 men. How soon before the worst of it starts?
3: About 20 minutes. Is
6: there any way I can speak with the fleet commander? It'll take a few minutes, but we can set a hookup right here. All right, let's do it. Thank you, Mr. President. Thank you. Any word on the FBI guy's condition?
7: They're prepping him for surgery. What do I do now? Go back to the party.
0: And here's where we get introduced to the First Lady, Abby Bartlett, for the first time. She's played by Stockard Channing. And I think that it's hard not to like her by the end of this episode, really. Uh, But even here... Just in the middle of this. I love how she addresses the Vermeer thing. And the fact that she's trying to couple CJ up with a doctor. Because that that kind of makes her kind of motherly. Right? I mean, you know, the the whole the whole thing about, oh, he's a doctor. Blah, blah, blah. You know, that, that, that's kind of a, a motherly kind of thing. So I really enjoyed that about Abby. Now, Sorkin always has to get Charlie in the episode somehow. No matter how minute. Uh, and his appearance is very brief in this episode. But you do also learn something about him, that he has grandparents, even though both of his parents are gone. I think at one point I questioned why he didn't ask his grandparents for help in regards to his sister. Um, but you can justify that by saying, well, he doesn't want to burden them, and he does say that they don't get around all that well, so that would definitely be a burden uh, with, a, with a teenaged girl, I would suppose. Um I think the main point of, and it was good that he was able to work this together, but the main part of Charlie being in the episode at all is to show how the storm has turned and uh, how that's going to cause peril for the Naval group. Speaking of the Naval group, just a little bit of trivia about that. The military advisor here says something about battleships being in that group. And if I recall, the last battleship was probably like decommissioned in like 1992 or something. So, there would be no battleships in a group in 1999. Um, That's nitpicky, of course. And uh, this... It's especially nitpicky when you consider that this is an alternate universe of sorts in regards to uh, who's president anyway. So, it doesn't really matter. I'm just pointing out that if Sorkin wanted to make the episode feel more in our real world, he could have used some other kind of ships. On the other hand, though, I do like that he had enough sense to know that hurricane seasons last from june to november so to have this episode in january would have been bad um and also that each new storm is given a new name in alphabetical order so at least he had the sense to call a hurricane happening in november a letter later further down in the alphabet like if you had betsy instead of sarah in november that would have made this world really wacky to me, especially since I'm kind of a geek who at one point was thinking about becoming a meteorologist instead of a musician. And then I took calculus, and that changed everything. But that's about me, and this is about the show. So let's move on to keep talking about this clip here. Um, now, the scene with Sam and Lori, like I said, everyone probably saw that coming except me, Right. I still, I really felt for Sam in that moment. I mean, clearly he's surprised, and he's obviously hurt, and he's trying to cover it up. But at least this time for now, uh, for now anyway, let's just put it that way, he he doesn't out her the way he did in the hotel in the earlier episode. At least he has enough sense not to do that, especially right there in the White House. So uh, kudos to Sam for at least being able to keep his composure for a minute, Anyway, we'll talk more about that in a future clip, I'm sure. Uh, and finally, Mandy, I, I felt bad for her, too. I left out the part about her needing to vomit because she felt she's kind of affected this result. But if I was supposed to continue to hate Mandy and cheer for her being wrong at this point, it didn't work. I'm, I'm hoping that's not the case. If it was suppo- I hope that it's the case that if it was supposed to make me see that she's human after all... And that, uh, you know, people make mistakes and and to see that she feels terrible about what has happened. uh, That totally is what I was sold on from this part of the, from Sorkin. So hopefully that's what was intended. And that'll take care of my clip three discussion. So in the fourth clip, Toby gets dressed down while requesting his friend be freed. CJ confronts Danny about his flirting President Bartlett walks in on labor negotiations and Sam and Laurie talk, meeting the First Lady as they do so.
3: Mr. Bambang, thank you for agreeing to meet with me today. What can I do for you, gentlemen? A friend of mine's in one of your jails. I want you to let him out. But your friend isn't an American. He's French. Well, then why not let the French take care of this one? because he's my friend and the french don't give a damn the extradition process is one
1: that might we're not talking about the extradition process
3: what we're talking about is that you unlock the cell you put him in a car and you drive him to the border your friend led anti-government demonstrations that's what he does he teaches students how to protest and so you're asking this as a favor yes senior aide to senior aide. yes i think you have a lot of nerve that was a despicable and humiliating toast your president made. And I know you were the one who wrote it. Please understand that with so many people watching, with so much media coverage, it was important for us to make clear that the United States, with its commitment to human rights, has Mr. an Sieger. obligation. Does it strike you at all hypocritical that a people who systematically wiped out a century's worth of Native Americans should lecture the world so earnestly on human rights? Yes, it does You humiliated my president tonight And for no other reason than to show off And
8: now you want me to do you a favor Go to hell
2: You're not supposed to be back here right now
8: KDHN in Boise is reporting an FBI agent Went down a raid in the house of McLean
2: We'll have a statement in 15 minutes
8: What happened?
2: When you flirt with me, are you doing it to get a story? No Why are you
8: doing it? I'm doing it to flirt with you I don't believe you. I know. So? So that's your problem. Look. What's Hurricane Sarah about to hit?
2: You know what? You're the one who goes around town saying that I'm too friendly with the press corps and that that makes me a weak press secretary. I
8: never said you're a weak press secretary.
2: Yeah, but you've been thinking it.
8: I thought you did well with the Vermeer scandal. See, you're doing it. I know. I have work to do. No problem.
2: You really like the dress?
8: Yes.
6: How are we doing? We're at an impasse, Mr. President. Hungry? Yes, sir. Tired? Sir. Talk to me for five minutes apiece, and then we're going to settle this. Stay standing. I didn't know. What were you thinking?
4: I didn't know where he was taking me. I told you I didn't know where he was taking me.
3: He just tells you what to wear.
5: That's right.
3: That's great.
4: You know, I'm sorry, Sam, but this isn't exactly your business. Are you enjoying yourself? Yes. (sighs) Sam? Yes. Wouldn't you like to introduce me to your friend? Mrs. Bartlett, I'm Brittany Rollins. <laughs> Abigail Bartlett. It's an honor to meet you, ma'am. Oh, aren't you sweet. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Actually, I was looking for the president.
3: He had to step out to the West Wing. Uh, I'm not sure why, but I could go. do
4: pistol whip the trucking industry.
3: <sighs> uh, why would he?
4: Because he can't save a gunshot victim and he can't stop a hurricane. You are thoroughly charming. Well, thank you. Excuse
8: me. Yes, ma'am.
0: It's
6: incredible. Sam. I'll give you $10,000 not to go with that guy tonight.
0: Wow. So seeing Toby have to eat crow for what he's done, I think makes a great point. And I actually don't blame the Indonesian aide for saying what he said. It, it proves that he's just as loyal to his own president as Toby is to Bartlett, to me. And as for the issue itself, um, Josh does assure Toby that they'll get the French involved. So things are kind of set on the proper course again, as, at least as far as that goes. But there's two things that have to make you love Toby even more after this scene, if you're a Toby fan. And first of all, it, is that he sticks up for his friends the way that he does. And based on the idea of freedom of speech which is what the guy is basically being imprisoned for in terms of the protests and everything. And, you know, Toby being a speechwriter definitely would be for something like that, even though Toby does sometimes like to control the message uh, that comes out of the White House, and he wishes that he had a little more freedom to convince other people of the message. uh, Nonetheless, uh, you have to love him going to bat over this kind of principle. The second thing here is that toby isn't above admitting when he's wrong at least in terms of his approach to this particular situation you often get the idea that sometimes toby listens to nothing except what's in his own head Uh, but then you see moments like this and you can see that he can be willing to grow from making a mistake and so those are the two things that make me love toby even more in this episode. I'm a big Toby fan. I'm a fan of all these characters. I mean, it's hard for me to pick a favorite favorite, but I really love Toby. And so this made me like him even more. Even though he failed, he grew. And I think that's what's important. Now, as far as CJ and Danny go, um, I've already said that I ship them, right? I said that earlier. And I think that this last scene, coupled with the CJ and the First Lady's talk, pretty much beats us over the head that we're supposed to ship them. Uh, As I've said before, some of us don't like being beaten over the head like this. Uh, But that can often be Sorkin's way. And really, when you look at it, there's there's kind of like a lot of romance or coupling in this episode. Uh, Or past coupling, even. Because if you look at where Josh and Mandy are coming from, the different sides of the issue, and their exes, you have this thing with CJ and Danny... Um, you have the, the beautiful talk between the president and the first lady coming up and you have this kind of weird thing with Sam and Lori. Um, the episode's actually kind of full of this kind of stuff, but the one that they really hit us over the head with is CJ and Danny. Uh, and I'm for it. I say go, uh, but we'll have to see now. Speaking of Sam and Lori, I mean, God, Sam, just keep your mouth shut for crying out loud. He's still trying to save Laurie, despite the fact that she does not want nor need to be saved, at least in my opinion. Um, It does speak to his higher ideals, I suppose. But he definitely crossed the line offering her money to not do her job. Regardless of what we think about what her job is, he stopped treating her as a person, just as her client was not treating her as a person he became no better than that person in fact it may have been worse because he started trying to bid on her like an auction item and gosh sam that's just a bad move bad move sir and i guess that's all i have to say about that clip so we'll move on to our final clip and president bartlett manages to try and threaten the labor discussions into some kind of agreement then he receives a scolding and support from his wife and finally talks to the crew member of a distressed naval group ship as the hurricane hits them.
6: I have a Nobel Prize in economics, and I'm here to tell you that none of you know what the hell you're talking about. At 12.01 a.m., I'm using my executive power to nationalize the trucking industry. You can't do that, Mr. President. Fourteen White House lawyers disagree. Truman did it in 52 with the coal mines. And it was struck down by the Supreme been Court. In 50 years, there's a new bench, and I'll take my chances. As for labor, I am calling Congress into an emergency session to grant me the authority to draft the truckers in the military service. You're going to love our food. Nice talking to you folks. If this isn't settled in 47 minutes, don't worry, we know where to find you.
4: You know, one of the things that happens when I stay away too long is that you forget that you don't have the power to fix everything. You have a big brain and a good heart and an ego the size of Montana. (laughs) You do, Jed. You don't have the power to fix everything. But I do like watching you try. We better get back to work, huh?
6: So I guess I'm going to talk to the captain of the Hickory? The intercom's been knocked out. They're looking for my foot, sir. Is there somebody on there now?
7: The kid in the radio show. You're kidding? No, sir.
6: Jack, talk to the boy. Hello, anyone there?
5: This is the USS Hickory.
6: Hickory, this is the White House. Who am I speaking to?
1: This is signalman third class Harold Lewis.
6: Son, this is President Bartlett. Hello? Yes, sir. Is your CO around?
8: Sir, they're getting him right now, sir.
6: Can I talk to you in the meantime? Hello?
0: I'm, yes, sir.
6: Are you all right, Harold? I uh,
0: hit my head on. I, 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 I hit my head. Are you bleeding? Yes, sir.
6: Can you put something on it?
1: Well, I need to get to the other end. I-I can't
6: reach it, You go over and get it. I'll stay right here. Harold, are you back?
1: Yes, sir. I think the skipper should be here any minute, sir.
6: Can you tell us what's going on? Well... Harold?
4: Hello? We're here. Yeah.
6: Can you tell us what's going on?
1: over the bow and we've got a fire in the engine room. We've lost the running lights and make it run over by an aircraft carrier that can't see
6: in the dark. Well, I don't know, man. Sounds pretty bad, Harold. I think I'd ask for my money back. Harold? Yes, sir. I'm gonna
0: stay right here as long as the radio works,
6: okay?
3: Yes, sir.
0: So as Abby described in the last clip, uh well, clip four, Bartlett's kind of pistol whipping the trucking industry because he feels powerless about the negotiator and about the hurricane. I feel like we've been shown so many times in this series already how Bartlett can sometimes overreact to things. I mean, if you think about back to the attack on on the plane that killed his buddy Tolliver, or even a situation at the bar with Zoe. And so here he is kind of assuming too much power and wielding it over something that he feels he can control. Now, It's good incentive, I guess, but I I wonder just how seriously anyone in the room could take him. And I wonder, did he in fact end up looking weaker by trying too hard to show that kind of strength? Um, Because I feel that's kind of what happened with the Joint Chiefs in in a way. And I I hope it's not the same way that happened with labor because then he's got domestic and foreign stuff (laughs) at him on both sides. But you got to thank goodness that Abby is there to call him out on it and, and to support him, uh, especially when she says that I do like watching you try. Um, that really moved me. It's a really simple line that was well delivered, and it told you everything you needed to know about Abby right there. Her love for her husband, her knowing him better than anyone else would, and her own personal strength. This is Stocker Channing's first appearance in this series, but man, she is so good. And throughout the course of the series, uh, you may sometimes agree with Abby or disagree with her as we go along, but you will always respect her. And I think because of the kind of weight, even in humorous moments, that's why you respect her. As far as placing it in the real world, I just can't even imagine some of the strangeness it must be for any woman to be married to, you know, someone who is considered the most powerful man in the world. Um, imagine the kind of fragility in the president and the fortitude in the president that any wife would would see in her husband in those moments. And imagine trying to contend with that in the face of, you know, potential crisis after potential crisis. You know, it just never ends. There's no, it's no reason to wonder why presidents always come out with a lot more gray hair than they went in with. And and first ladies, too, probably, although they're usually better at hiding it. Uh, Also, just as a footnote, let me say that hopefully someday I can make that statement about being a wife to the president. uh, That Hopefully that statement will be just as dated as this show sometimes is. I hope that someday we have to talk about it in terms of a husband, uh, a first husband, first male, first man. What would you call him? I don't know. Uh, anyway, finally, when Bartlett talks to Harold on the ship, you you really see the weight of what's happening there. And once again, thanks to Martin Sheen's fabulous acting, his portrayal of concern, caring, grief, pretending to be strong for men under his command. Uh, I find it really interesting that the times I felt most emotional about the president have been in these times of military crisis so far in the series i mean bartlett often gives us sorkin's little parables or lessons you know or sums up the episode for us in its themes but i i think it's when bartlett is in situations like this thanks to again to martin sheen's great acting that some of the caricatures uh fade into the distance and and you find yourself seeing that these are characters, and not only that, but they seem a lot more real in moments like this. Uh, so, kudos to everyone in this scene for giving it the kind of weight that, that makes you feel as helpless as they do, at least in my opinion. And I guess that's all I have to say about this particular episode, so let's get to my rating. And once again, I grade on a special 10 scale, which you can find at sorkincast.wordpress.com. It's a 10-point scale, and this week I'm going 7.9. It's not one of my favorites by any stretch, uh, but it's a good episode by any stretch as well, at least in my opinion. And uh, mainly the reasons that I, I, I gave it such a high rating is because you get new facets to Mandy, You get this kind of new romance to ship uh, with uh, CJ and Danny. You get to meet Abby Bartlett for the first time. It's all really good stuff. So, 7.9, and that's going to do it for this week. Reminder, next week's episode is Season 1, Episode 8, entitled Enemies. And if you have any comments about this particular podcast or any of the episodes that we've covered prior or anything up to Season 1, Episode 11, you still have a couple of weeks to get in, your feedback to me, and I will include it in the 12th episode, which will be a feedback for all of this stuff that we've taken in so far. You can send an email to sorkincast at com, or you can tweet at sorkincast on Twitter, or you can call the Rewatching Good TV listener line, 314-669-1840. And you can find all of that information, once again, at com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week to talk about enemies. This is Matt. Bye.